Welcome, and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon. I'm Pastor Malone, and I pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to Jesus. If you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with Jesus or to connect with us as a church, please visit westacres.org. Thanks again, and God bless. Well, amen. Uh, While the choir is making their way to their seats, I do want to just invite you to turn with me in your Bible. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5, verse 12 today, uh, looking at 30 verses of Scripture. I hope you don't have anywhere to go today. Uh, I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. Um, But Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 42, we do have a lot of ground to cover. So please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word, if you're able. This picks up right after the account of Ananias and Sapphira. If you were with us last week, uh, we learned that God takes sin uh, very seriously. Um, and you would think uh, that it, that account would uh, keep people from coming to know Jesus. Um, but we'll learn in our scripture today, uh, it actually makes the church grow when we take sin seriously. So verse 12, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came... They did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so was the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up, gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. He said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan, or if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. He might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Let us pray. Father, I pray you please uh, just open our eyes to your scripture. Father, I pray you will just remove all the distractions, all the baggage that has come into this room that will keep us from coming to your word. And Father, I pray you will use me as your vessel. I pray this message be clear. I pray it be simple. But Lord, I also pray it have your power behind it. I pray your Holy Spirit be the preacher. Father, Please bless us with your word and all that is in it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The title of today's message is The Unstoppable Church. The Unstoppable Church. When faced with opposition, what do we see with the church in Acts? It only grows stronger and it only grows faster. I heard one preacher put it in terms like this. The, the church is like a volleyball in water. Some of you are familiar with what I'm saying here. If you've been in a swimming pool with, with a, a, a ball of air, like a volleyball, you try to push it down under the water, maybe use it as a float. What does it do? It pops right back up with force. You can't keep it down. Likewise, you can't keep the church down. Our adversary, the devil, is indeed a formidable enemy. But he is no match against an almighty God. Hear this, church. The devil might win some battles here and there. But God's word tells us he does not win the war. He might win some battles here and there, but he does not win the war. Uh, we, when Jesus gave Simon his new name, he said this, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell, the devil, the world, the government, persecution, cancel culture, 
all the chaos we're seeing in this world today, none of them will prevail against God's church. So don't be scared. Don't be scared. In our passage today, the apostles are going to face more persecution from the Sanhedrin. And that is the, the elite Jewish leadership of Jerusalem. And it's primarily made up of Sadducees, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but this persecution is, is going to be dialed up a notch in chapter 5. And we see the first account of persecution in chapter 4. Peter and John are preaching at Solomon's portico. Um, and they, they've healed this lame beggar. And what does the text say? It says they were taken into custody and they were given a warning. They were told not to teach or preach in this name. That's the first account of persecution. But in chapter 5, they, they, they turn it up a notch. They turn it up a notch. We not only see Peter and John arrested, we see all of the apostles arrested. They also are commanded not to teach in Jesus' name, but it says it just passively, and I hope you didn't miss this. They were beaten. They were beaten. Persecution will only grow worse in the book of Acts. It starts here, it gets worse. By the time we get to chapter 7, a man will violently be killed for his Christian witness. That, of course, was Stephen. However, when persecution grows, the church grows. Uh, we see this already in our world today. Uh, we look at the nation of China, which our news just paints in such negative light. But folks, there are millions of brothers and sisters in Christ in the nation of China, a place where there's so much persecution, but where the church is growing like wildfire. Think about that the next time China's in the headlines. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. But every time we see persecution grow, the church grows. Uh, the early church leader named Tertullian, while addressing the rulers of the Roman Empire, he cried this out, Kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. The more you mow us down the more we grow. The seed is the blood of Christians. As we look at the unstoppable church today, there are three marks seen in this section of Scripture. There's three things I want to point out. Power, persecution, and perseverance. Power, persecution, and perseverance. Let's begin by looking at number one, power. The early church was given the power to perform signs and wonders by the hands of the apostles. The early church was not a miracle-working church. It was a church that had miracle-working apostles. Not everybody had this ability, but God gave his apostles this ability and this power for a purpose. It was to affirm their authority, that they were indeed the servants of the Lord, but it was also to affirm their message. This was a fulfillment of Jesus' promises uh, to his disciples, saying, listen, y'all are going to do greater works than these. You just wait. Uh, but it was also an answer to the church's prayer. Uh, back in chapter 4, the church prayed, Lord, give us more boldness. Lord, I pray you'll do more signs and wonders through the hands of your apostles, through the name of Jesus. And what do we see taking place in chapter 5? We're seeing more boldness, and we're seeing more signs and wonders. They were healing the sick. They were healing those afflicted with unclean spirits. Two different things, by the way. Two different things. 
Uh, the news was spreading to the point where people in nearby towns were saying, hey, have you heard? These guys are healing in the name of Jesus. Let's go. So people from nearby towns were coming to Jerusalem to be healed. God's power was so manifested uh, in the apostles that people even believed that they, they were being healed by just touching Peter's shadow. I was at Evans Town Center yesterday out in that big old field. They had this uh, public safety event going on. Great, by the way. Uh, but I had my, my, my little, goodness, two-year-old? I'm losing count of how old they are. Uh, but she's just, chase, she's running this way. I come up behind her, and you can see my shadow on the screen. And she's just running from my shadow, not wanting to be touched by my shadow. But the people in this story, they wanted to be touched by Peter's shadow. This is very similar to the woman in Luke 8 that just wanted to touch the fringe of Jesus' garment. And she would be healed. And she was healed. There was power. Also, verse 16 says this. Notice scripture is never half of anything. It's never just a percentage. It's all. It's all or nothing. Uh, they weren't just getting, hey, they're healing some of the people. Uh, they're healing some of them. I don't know about your case, but they're able to take care of this. They're able to take care of that. No, verse 16 says this. They were all healed. They were all healed. This is amazing. No failures. Nobody was being sent away saying, you don't have the faith. They were all healed. Uh, this power was not only seen in their miracles, but it was also seen in their boldness. Notice where the apostles are meeting, where this group of Christians is meeting on a regular basis. Verse 12, they're meeting in Solomon's portico. If you've been with us through this series, you've learned that Solomon's portico was the very place that Peter and John got in trouble in the first place. It was the very first place they were preaching. It was the place they got arrested. But it doesn't phase them one bit. They go back to the very place they were arrested. They go, very, they go back doing the very thing they were arrested for. We're going to see more and more of that through our text today. But many Christians would not do that. And many Christians would shy away. Many Christians would say this, okay, I, I need to go somewhere else. Not many people would go back to the very place they were arrested. And not many people would go back to doing the very thing that caused them to be arrested. This was not the case for the apostles they continued meeting in the temple, and they continued their ministry in Jesus' name, even when they were told not to do so. We learned already in our text revealed today, they can't obey man when it contradicts their obedience to God. They weren't intimidated. In verse 13, we learned that many stayed away from them. This is interesting if you run through this really quickly. What does that mean? Well, some believe that they, they didn't want to be a part of this group. They didn't want to receive any persecution. But others, they know what just happened earlier in our story. They heard about Mr. Ananias and Miss Sapphira. They heard these two people that dropped dead because of sin. That makes you think twice before joining the church. They knew that God took sin very seriously. So this kept some people away. But thankfully, this wasn't the case for all the people. Look at verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Earlier in the book of Acts, we're hearing numbers 3,000, 5,000. But the church is growing at such a rapid rate, they can't even keep count anymore. 
multitudes of men and women. There was power in God's church. Miracles were being done. There was boldness in the leaders. Multitudes were being saved. The temple was being filled with more and more believers. There was power in the early church. And because of this power, it was ultimately welcomed by persecution. That's our second heading today. Look at verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. Notice the text doesn't start off with theology. Notice it doesn't start off with miracles. It starts off with the, the condition of their heart. They were filled with jealousy. These people didn't care about God. All they cared about was their high position. Their power was being eclipsed by the power of the church. So what did they do? They arrested the apostles and they put them in the public prison. They wanted to make an example out of these rebels. They wanted to make an example of these Christians. Look at verse 19 through 20. So they've locked them up in the prison. Scripture doesn't waste any time. Verse 19. But... During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. I mentioned earlier that the Sanhedrin was primarily composed of this, this one group called the Sadducees. You had Sadducees and Pharisees. The high priest was even a Sadducee. But the interesting thing about Sadducees is this. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the resurrection, not just the resurrection of a Messiah. They didn't believe in a resurrection at all. They also didn't believe in angels. Yet these were the religious leaders. It makes no sense whatsoever. By the way, we have institutions in our nation today full of so-called religious people that don't believe in the supernatural. They don't believe in anything. Just what a paradox. The Sadducees are a paradox. It's ironic, though. The very ones that don't believe in angels... God said, guess what? I'm going to send an angel to mess with these guys. I'm going to send an angel to release these apostles, my apostles, from prison. An angel not only delivers them from prison, but the angel also gives them a divine commission. He doesn't just get them out of jail, but the, the angel also says this, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Tony Marita says this, this instruction is kind of funny because it was precisely the act of preaching that caused them to get put into prison in the first place. Yet, in obedience, the apostles offer people the words of life. I love what he says here. God frees the apostles physically in order to free others spiritually. The words of life the words of life, maybe your translation has life uh, capitalized right there. But the words of life is the message of salvation found in Jesus. The words of life. I love how the angel says this, go and tell them all the words of this life. I like what the New American Standard says, go and tell them the whole message of this life. In other words, the angel says this, don't keep anything back. Tell them the whole truth. Give it to them in full. 
That's a lesson the church needs to hear today. We need to be giving all the words of this life. We need to be giving all the message of this life. There are some churches out there today, not to be ugly, it's just sad. There's no words of life. No words of life. But many, in an attempt to appease the culture, not to step on toes, in an attempt to grow their church somehow, some way, I don't know what kind of growth they're thinking about, they keep things out of it. They keep words away. We should listen to this angel. We should listen to the example that's giving. Give the whole message of this life. The apostles didn't waste any time. They didn't go home. They didn't say, honey, we're home. Yeah, well, we, were, well, we were in prison. They, they didn't even get a, a, a nice meal. They didn't go and freshen up. They didn't do any of those things. They went straight to the temple. And Scripture says this, they went at daybreak. They went at daybreak. I like to think of this, the Sanhedrin, they are comfortable in their beds thinking that these apostles are in prison. They, they are just sleeping. They, 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 are, they are clueless to what's going on. They're still in their beds while the apostles are in the temple preaching the word of God. I don't know if you're like me, I'm a morning person. But this just this motivated me to wake up early this week. I said, man, these guys are getting to the temple at daybreak. All I can do, Lord, is get up and get in your word and get with it. Y'all need to do the same, by the way. <laughs> okay. Uh, when the Sanhedrin finally summons the apostles from the prison, they discover they're missing. They're not in prison. And their release was undetected. The, 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 the prison, the guards, they don't know what's going on. All the doors are locked. Everybody's standing there. They don't know what's going on. So in other words, their deliverance was also a miracle. Uh, we don't have the details if they just skirted through there invisibly or if the angel put the guards to sleep. We don't know those things, but what we do know is this. It was a miracle. And I love what Warren Wearsby said. Just imagine the astonishment of the envious members of the Sanhedrin when they heard the report. Here they are trying to stop miracles from happening. And in their efforts, they are causing more and more miracles to happen. The apostles are finally found standing and teaching. I love the, the guy, we don't even know his name. Look, they're at the temple. They're at the temple. He had a good word that day. But they're found standing and teaching within the temple. The Sanhedrin sends the guard to have them escorted. The guard is scared of the crowd, though. He, he, he's doing things very politely. Saying, why don't y'all just come with me? Come with me. Hey, he doesn't want to rough the waters. Why? Why? Is he scared of the apostles? Well, he should be scared of the apostles. No, he's scared of the crowd. He's scared of the crowds going to stone them. So they bring him back to stand before the Sanhedrin. I shared earlier the Sanhedrin was a group of about uh, 70 uh, or so individuals, and they, they sat in a semicircle whenever someone stood before them. So just picture, that's kind of what this room looks like right now, a, a semicircle, and Peter and the apostles are standing front and center. And what do we already know when Peter gets to stand front and center in front of a group of people, especially the most elite leaders in Judaism? They haven't learned their lesson yet. Peter is going to preach. Hey, he's saying, y'all have got the perfect setup. You've got nice seats. You've got this place for me to stand. Let me tell you something. But it says in verse 28, the high priest says, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood 
upon, upon us. Notice they don't even ask him how they got out of jail. They don't even say, how did you get here? Uh, how did this take place? They knew a miracle had took place. And they were sick and tired of miracles. One, because they didn't believe in miracles. But two, these miracles were causing more and more people to come to know the truth about Jesus. They don't even talk about that. They, they, they skim their way through that. They don't even want to address the miracle. Moreover, these Jewish leaders, they hate Jesus so much. They are so antagonistic against Jesus. They can't even say his name. They can't even say his name. You keep teaching in this name. Then they say, your teaching is filling all of Jerusalem. That is a great compliment. That is a great compliment. You're telling me everything we're teaching is reaching all of Jerusalem? Praise the Lord. Then they also say this. And you're trying to put this man's guilt, you're trying to put this man's death on us. You're blaming us for the death of Jesus? Hold up. Hold up. Do you remember what happened in the Gospels when the Jews took Jesus to Pilate? And Pilate's just saying, hey, uh, this man hasn't done anything wrong. He, he's not, I, I can't crucify this man. He's innocent. And what did they say to Pilate? They said, his blood be on us and on our children. But right here in the book of Acts, they're saying, no, 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 no. His blood's not on us. Quit trying to blame us. They're going back on the very thing they had said. They're hypocrites. They're hypocrites. Pay attention to this. They are mad that the apostles are preaching about Jesus. And they are mad that the apostles are blaming them for Jesus' death. That's what they just addressed. So how does Peter respond to this? He preaches about Jesus and he continues to blame them for Jesus' death. Talk about boldness. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says, The righteous are bold as a lion. I want you to get a picture of Peter in this scene right here. He is a lion. You remember that too. It's not just Peter. It says, The righteous are bold as a lion. Peter used his platform before the Sanhedrin as an opportunity to preach the gospel once again. He's already done this. He's done a great job at it, by the way. But listen to everything he preaches on. He preaches on the crucifixion. He preaches on the resurrection. He preaches on repentance. He preaches on forgiveness. He preaches on Jesus uh, being the leader and the Savior. He, he preaches on Jesus' exaltation in heaven. The man preaches on the Holy Spirit. He preaches the whole message. He doesn't hold anything back. He's doing that thing. That's what he's doing when they're arrested in the temple. So when they interrupt him, every time they interrupt him, Peter's like, okay, well, I guess I'll tell you what I was going to say. He doesn't waste his opportunity before these men. He doesn't waste his Sanhedrin moment. Now, I want you to think about that. I heard one commentator put it in terms like that. Are you wasting your Sanhedrin moment? Are you wasting those opportunities where you're standing in front of someone that opposes Christianity and you just get quiet? Are you, are you standing before your persecutors and not saying a word? Or do you need to be like a Peter and like the apostles? When you're having your Sanhedrin moment, you speak the truth. Even in the face of persecution, you speak the truth. 
Uh, we see that in the example of the apostles. We see that even in our Lord Jesus when He hung from the cross. He wasn't up there just being quiet. He was speaking truth. He was even praying for His persecutors. You take advantage of your Sanhedrin moment. You've got to be ready, though. You, your mind has to be made up now what you're going to do in those moments. So you have to make a decision today. What's going to happen? Look at verse 33. When they heard this, that being the Sanhedrin, they were enraged. And they wanted to kill them. They weren't going to take these men to Pilate either. They, they weren't going to go through the proper channels. Even the channels they went through with Jesus were wrong and illegal. But they weren't going to take these men to Rome. Remember, capital punishment could only be done through the hand of Rome. But they weren't going to do it. Uh, the context here says they were about to kill these jokers. They were about to take matters in their own hands. And we know they're capable of doing that already. <laughs> we know that because we're going to read later in chapter 7, they were going to kill Stephen. They are going to stone him to death. They were enraged. Other translations say cut to the heart or cut to the quick. Peter is preaching God's word. And what do we know about God's word? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. He is piercing them with the sword, the word of God. Yet, instead of seeing conviction, we see rage. We see anger. And that's the same reactions we see today when the Word of God is being preached. You can have a room with two types of people that are hearing the same message of God. One person over here can, can be brought to conviction. They can be led to, to con, uh, forgiveness and salvation and mercy. And then you have the other person over here just saying, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe it. I hate his guts. I'm just like, why are you in church? Okay? You should have just stayed home. Okay? Um, but you see those two reactions that take place from the same sword, the same word. What is your reaction? Does God's word bring you to repentance? Does God's word soften your heart? Or does God's word harden your heart? Before they take actions to murder these men, a voice of reason speaks up. A very... A significant voice of reason, a man, a great teacher named Gamaliel. He offers his advice. Gamaliel is a familiar name because when we're reading the testimony of the Apostle Paul, we learn that Apostle Paul, he had an awesome resume. But right there in the education section, it said, I learned under Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was like learning from the most prestigious university of the day. I know we frown upon such names, but they are prestigious. It'd be like someone studying at Harvard or Cambridge. That is the effect this, this man had in being a teacher in Judaism. He was also a Pharisee. So you have this group that's primarily, the majority is made up of Sadducees. But you also have a small section made up of Pharisees. Now these guys usually don't like each other. It's, it's like Republicans and Democrats, kind of. They don't like each other. The, Sand uh, the Sadducees have the house majority. But the people don't like the Sadducees. The people hate the Sadducees. They like the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees were held in high esteem. And the Sadducees, they needed the people's favor during this time. So what are they going to do? They're going to listen to Gamaliel. They're going to listen to this Pharisee because they need the people on their side because things are getting out of control. 
So they listen to Gamaliel's advice. And Gamaliel recounts two episodes that took place in recent history. Two men that, that rose up to lead revolts and movements. I'm not going to get into those details here. Uh, but he pointed out that these movements died out because these were not of God. Therefore, in verse 38... It says, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this is the plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So what did they do? They took his advice. When you read Gamaliel's comments quickly, you're thinking, wow, that, that makes sense. Uh, there's a reason this guy's the smart guy in the room. But also, if you take a, a good look at his comments, it's also the worst advice you could ever hear, especially in today's day and age. Uh, Gamaliel was just simply being neutral. He, he wasn't favoring the Christians. He was being neutral. He wasn't taking a side. Look at how neutral his comments are. He, he doesn't want to be in the Christian camp, but he doesn't want to be in the Sadducee camp. And it's sad someone held in such high esteem, one of the greatest teachers in Judaism, doesn't have enough wisdom and discernment to know that what is taking place is of God. Hey, he doesn't make a decision. He's just blowing smoke. He's just blowing smoke. But also his words are very dangerous. Just because something lasts doesn't mean it is of God. Think about that, folks. Think of all the movements, think of all the false religions that are present in this world today that have been around for centuries, that have millions and mi hundreds of millions of followers. Islam, Hinduism, let's bring it into our backyard. Cults like the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, they are successful. They are good at doing what they do and they are still here. But they are not of God. They are not of God. So you want to be very careful taking the advice of Gamaliel. Satan is the chief deceiver. And he is very successful in what he does. However, the Sanhedrin took his advice. Therefore, the apostles live for another day. They live for another day. Look at verse 40. They're not let go without a stern warning. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. They beat them first, then charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. The 12 apostles were unjustly beaten, and many believe they took 39 lashes in this beating. Uh, Old Testament allowed for 40 lashes, but people were so scared of miscounting, they kept it at 39 lashes. And it, the lashing consisted of striking the victim's bare skin, bare skin with a tripled, Strip of calf's hide. Some of y'all were like, I thought my daddy's belt was bad. Tripled strip of calf's hide. The victim received two blows to the back, then one to the chest. And they would repeat this cycle until they were done. Many references in classical Greek literature convey the idea of flaying and parting the skin. Taking all things into consideration, the apostles were probably whipped until they were bloody, but they were not subjected to the halfway to death mark like Jesus. 
The punishment undoubtedly left permanent scars. They, just, they didn't leave their red. They left their bloodied and scarred in the name of Jesus. The persecution did not conquer these men, though. This, this persecution did not bring an end to them. This persecution did not stop the church. It had the opposite effect. It grew the church. You probably think these men are crazy, but they rejoiced in what they had just gone through. This leads to our final mark of the unstoppable church. Perseverance. Perseverance. Look at verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Some people believe persecution and suffering is a result of not being in God's will. But that's not the case. That's definitely not the case for the apostles. And they, they didn't see their, their persecution and suffering as a punishment. But they saw it as affirmation. They saw it that they were doing the will of God. Jesus had prepared these men for this. He had told them, listen, you are going to be persecuted. You are no better than your master. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. Then it says this in Matthew 10, verse 17, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in your synagogues. When those men are kneeling, bare-chested, taking those, those lashes, all I can picture is the 12 of them just looking together with tears in their eyes, remembering the words of their Lord. He said we were going to go through this, and it's happening. It's happening. And they counted it as joy. Chuck Swindoll says this suggests two principles for all those who suffer to the cause of Christ today. First, opposition may mean you are in the will of God, not out of it. Second, the will of God may set you against popular opinion, not with it. As a Christian, do you feel popular today? When you go to your work, students, when you go to school, do you feel popular for being a Christian? If you could just unload Scripture, truth on your peers, would it be popular? It would not be popular. You would be told to sit down. You'd be told to shut up. You'd probably be on Fox News for being excommunicated from your school or your workplace. Uh, it is not popular. But that doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. In fact, as a church... We should expect such opposition. When you don't have opposition in your life, there is something wrong. Because Christianity goes against the grain. It goes against this culture. It goes against this world. It is not wanted. It is not wanted. So ask yourself that question today. Do I have opposition in my life as a believer? Because as Christians, we should expect such things. We should not be surprised, but we should expect it. And when we expect it, we should rejoice. We should rejoice in it. Because we know that we are doing the will of God. The twelve apostles, they all took a beating for Jesus on this day. But that wasn't the last time they would endure suffering for Christ. They would endure suffering throughout the rest of their lives, throughout their ministries. In fact, many of their lives would be brought to an end through persecution. Listen to this. Church tradition tells us this about the apostles. Think of these men 
spent such quality time with Jesus. These men that Jesus washed their feet. These men that Jesus had such special moments with. These, these men that were called to be apostles. They were so unworthy of it. Nobody's worthy. But this is what they endured for their Lord. Matthew was killed by the sword. John was scarred in a cauldron of boiling oil. Lived his last days banished on an island. Peter was crucified upside down. James, the son of Zebedee, also the brother of John, he was killed by the sword and beheaded. James the Less, also known as James, son of Alphaeus, he was thrown from a high pinnacle and beaten to death with a club. Philip, you know the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? He was hanged. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, he was scourged and beaten to death. Simon the Zealot, he was killed after refusing to worship a false god. Andrew, you know, we don't see Andrew talking a lot in Scripture. He led his brother to the Lord. He also led that little boy with the fish and the loaves to Jesus. Church tradition tells us this. Andrew was bound to a cross. He preached at the top of his voice to his persecutors until he perished. Thaddeus was beaten by a club and crucified. Thomas was run through with a lance, a long pointed sword. Then Matthias, the one who replaced Judas, he was stoned and beheaded. These men endured suffering and persecution. They persevered until the very end. You can't stop the church. You can't stop Christ followers. We can't be stopped. We can't be stopped. These men persevered for Christ. They kept serving Him until the very end. Verse 42 captures the essence of what they spent the rest of their lives doing. And every day, they were just told not to preach. They were told not to do this. They were told not to do that. Every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Every day, they did not cease. They did not stop. The early church was unstoppable. Dear loved ones today, the church today is unstoppable. We are given this example to know how to be prepared and ready to be an effective witness just like these souls we've read about today. So may we live in Christ's power. May we expect and rejoice in persecution. And may we persevere until the very end. Let us pray.